Hello, and welcome to Karen's Medical Corner. I'm Karen O'Day. I'm a certified family nurse practitioner and a certified nurse midwife. I practice in Santa Fe, New Mexico. I'm the owner and family nurse practitioner at Evercare Family Practice. My specialty is in family health care, as well as women's health, bioidentical hormone replacement therapy for men and women, as well as aesthetics. I'd like to thank you for joining the podcast today. And I talked about last week starting a podcast series on uh, mental health. And I would like to start that today. I've been thinking a lot about mental health in our society, especially uh, in the aftermath of COVID. During COVID, obviously, we saw a lot of patients that had physical conditions, but the majority of my patients during that time during 2020-2021 were actually for struggling with mental health issues and concerns that were arising due to the stress of the virus, the stress of the shutdown, social isolation, uh, causing increase in fear, anxiety, depression, post-traumatic stress disorder, just to name a few things that were going on. And in the aftermath of COVID, even though physical health for a lot of my patients has gotten better or they've been vaccinated so they are having less uh, severe symptoms when they acquire the virus, they're still having issues surrounding the uh, psychological ramifications of the virus itself. And, and you know, and this is not new. People have had mental health issues, all of us, for uh, years and years, as long as humankind has been around, I would suspect. But it really intensified, for my practice anyway, when uh, the virus became a forefront uh, and kind of overtook our society for a while. So I wanted to start today just by discussing uh, how everybody in our society, no matter who anybody is, Everyone struggles with their own issues, physically as well as psychologically, spiritually. It's not that anyone is is alone. People think they're alone, that they're the only ones who are suffering because it's not talked about very much in our society. For some reason, the U.S. seems to be an, uh, an island in and of itself where we have developed these issues and constraints around mental health and stigmatisms around mental health and that hampers people's ability to communicate what's going on with them for different reasons sometimes it's fear of not being understood or fear of being shunned many different reasons but i wanted to start this podcast just by kind of sharing my own story a little bit to let people know that you know, you're not alone. People are not alone out in society dealing with their uh, spiritual, physical, mental health problems. Like I said, we all have issues. And I was thinking about it yesterday. I had lunch with my very best friend, Serena, and we've been friends, best friends, since we were five. And I just feel blessed that she's in my life and that we've shared so many things together. And some of the things that we've shared together have really formed who I am as a person, whether that's for the positive or for the negative or neutrally. It's still, there have been major aspects 
as a child and growing up that have kind of formulated who I became as an adult. And obviously there are things that happen in the adult world too that formulate my progression through life as an adult. But I just wanted to give an, an idea of how things can transform people in general as they mature in life. And that everybody doesn't have a perfect life. In fact, I don't know anybody that has a perfect life. And oftentimes when patients come into my office, because I'm a healthcare provider, there's this thought that, you know, I don't have any problems. My life is perfect because I do what I do. And that's frankly not true. It's not true for anybody. And I'm really honest with my patients. My life is pretty much an open book. If somebody asks me something, I will give them an answer because I am human and I, I want them to know that I'm not a machine. I'm not a robot. I'm actually just like they are. It's just my career is different. And it's hard because in school, they teach us in school, don't tell your patients about your personal life. Don't share personal stuff. Just, you know, listen and you have to be a little bit aloof so that you can provide care. And I think that that is so not true. To me, my patients like the fact that I'm human. They like the fact that I can relate to a lot of their issues that they're having and, and that they know that I've had stuff come up before too that makes me just be another human in our society. And that's what we are. We need to not be fighting with each other or causing discord with each other over silly things that in a hundred years are not going to matter. All it's doing is tearing people apart and it's making mental health even worse. So for me, one of the first things that I remember that, that changed a little bit of who I was was when I was five years old and my I was up with my grandmother up in Las Vegas, New Mexico at her ranch and at that time it was the biggest forest fire in the state came running through uh, the Pecos started by lightning and uh, it actually completely destroyed her entire ranch took out three houses we were being evacuated and I can remember as a kiddo I was in her Jeep and we were, it was actually a scout, and we were leaving and she stopped at the top of the hill and she looked back and I looked back with her and you could see the flames just coming over the mountain and she took some pictures of that and I don't think that she realized because she was an adult and I was only five, the trauma and fear that was going on in my head watching these flames just come over this mountain. Several days later, my parents who were living in Houston at the time, I was just visiting for the summer, came out and we, when we were allowed to go back in, everything was just gray dust, just complete ash. There was nothing standing except one four foot high brick wall that had been around the wood burning stove. And the wood burning stove was still there. It, uh, because it was made out of cast iron, but it was not in good condition. Everything else was completely down to either uh, molten glass that had solidified or complete ash. And it was really a traumatizing experience for me. And, and for the next 10 years, we spent almost every weekend or every other weekend up there rebuilding her house. So that kind of formed who I am in my my respect for the woods, my respect for fire, and actually a little bit of fear of fire. Then as I got older, 
you know, my I my friend Serena and I, we were inseparable as children. We did everything together. And one of the things that you know we did was we, you know, protected each other. We took care of each other. I was always a very shy kid. Her and I were best friends, but it was kind of funny because I've always felt like we were best friends but polar opposites in our personality. She always was seemed to me to be outgoing and had all these friends. To me, I was super shy. I had one or two friends. She was my best friend. And she was very, very smart in school. And I always felt like that I struggled with school, you know, trying to keep up. And um, it's funny because when, when we talk about it, she did not perceive it at the way I perceived it. But that's just the way I perceived it. I was an only child. She had four siblings. She had she was the youngest of four and she had two older sisters that were really cool and I thought she was cool and I was a nerd. I was super, super shy. I did not talk to hardly anybody in school. And um, one of the first things that I remember with her that was a little bit traumatizing in my life is we were in third grade and she had done this big presentation. She had this huge board that she had written all this stuff on and had all these pretty pictures on that she had had to present to her class and we were walking home from school and this girl who was really just mean to us all the time for I don't even know what reasons I did not know her very well I don't think that Serena knew her very well she came up to us at the stoplight as we're waiting to cross and this was a time a little bit before we had crossing guards I never remember a crossing guard ever in my life we just waited for the light to turn green or made sure there were no cars and, and if there wasn't a stoplight and crossed in the crosswalk. Well, this girl comes up and she's giving Serena a hard time and she comes over, she's yelling and screaming at Serena and kicks a hole right in this really beautiful poster board. And to me, that threat at that time with her kicking it was that she was then going to start to attack my friend, my best friend and possibly attack me and I just had this fear run through me and just out of reflex when she did that because she lunged towards Serena a little bit I went and I didn't even realize what I was doing but I had my metal lunchbox Scooby-Doo lunchbox in my hand and I hit her right in the head with it hard and she stopped obviously um, I did not realize at that time that she might have been hurt I was just trying to get her to stop and so we walked home. I had to go to my babysitter, and Serena had older siblings, so she got to go home. And I was at the babysitter around the corner, and here uh, there's a knock on the door. And there's a woman standing at the door. My babysitter opens the door, and the uh, woman says, Is there a Karen Lovett in the room and, or in, in the house? And my babysitter says, Yes. And so she comes in to get me, and she says, Did you just hit my daughter? And I was like, What? I said, what are you talking about? Because I didn't know that this was Courtney's mother. And I was like, what do you mean? And she said, my daughter says you just hit her with the lunch pail. Well, before I could say anything, the babysitter was right there with the lunch pail. And, of course, there's blood and hair stuck in my lunch pail. And so it was, like, obvious. Yes, of course, I had hit her. And so she said, well, we'll just deal with you later. When, I, when my mom came to pick me up, the babysitter told her what was going on. My mom uh, freaked out, of course, because I'm a shy, quiet 
never caused trouble kind of kid. And here I had just, you know, physically assaulted a child. And I told my mom what had happened. And she said, you know, you don't ever do anything like that. We went over and apologized. I had to apologize to, to the girl, which was really difficult because I wasn't really sorry for hitting her. I felt like she was going to hurt my friend and I was protecting my friend. But I eventually did apologize because my mother said that she was going to tell my dad what was going on if I didn't apologize. And I knew that that would be really bad things um, could happen as far as getting yelled at. And and uh, I was always, you know, afraid of my dad, not for any really justified reason. It's just that, you know, when he got mad, I didn't like to be around yelling. So I apologized. And again, that kind of, I just withdrew a little bit more because it was like, okay, I was afraid. I was thought I was protecting my friend. I totally did the wrong thing. And uh, so that made me more shy, more quiet, less likely to kind of have friends as I got older. And uh, I went on with life, you know, life goes on. I still had Serena. She was my best friend. Nothing else really mattered at that point. And then we got into eighth grade and eighth grade was nice because they had changed uh, elementary, junior high, and high school, and they had made the year I started junior high, they turned it into middle school. So it was no longer 7th, 8th, and ninth grade. It was 6th, 7th, and 8th. And then high school was 9th, 10th, 11th, and 12th. So 7th grade kind of just whizzed by because we weren't the youngest ones. They started it with 6th grade, so we kind of entered in the middle. No big deal. 8th grade came along. And I had classes that I had chosen to take. I always picked classes where I could do stuff kind of alone. So to tell you what, how shy I was in class, we were forced to take Spanish in eighth grade. We had to have an eight-week eight class. They did these eight-week rotations, and you got to pick the classes that you took. So I took um, a woodworking class. I took a, an architecture class. I took... Um, uh, welding class to learn how to do a little bit of welding and metal work and then I was forced to take a Spanish class which was absolutely horrifying to me because I was going to have to get up in front of the class and actually say something. So we had to have partners, partners of two, of course my friends not in this class and I uh, had decided you know I can't do it. There's no way. I'm, I'm not going to do it because I don't want people to make fun of me. I used to get made fun of all the time because my last name was Lovett. And so I was teased relentlessly for that name. And I just thought, I'm not doing it. And so we had practiced and practiced and practiced. And I can even now today still recite exactly the phrases that I had to say in Spanish to have this conversation with my partner. Well, the time came to do it and I couldn't do it. I was, no way was I going to do that. I was too shy. So I took an F in the class not to get up to speak. And then the girl did her side of it that I was supposed to be pairing up with. And, uh, you know, she, I'm sure she got an A because she was good. Other classes I took kind of to be on my own is I took typing. And I won a bunch of awards in typing because I practiced a lot at home. I liked to type and I played the piano, so it was pretty easy, but it was something I could do by myself. I was mainly competing against myself. Now, I didn't figure I was competing against other people. So that's kind of how it started in eighth grade. And then all of a sudden, this girl comes up to me named Mary. And it's really hard for me not to say her last name because I've never just called her Mary before, but I don't want to put that on a podcast. Although, 
actually, I wouldn't mind putting it on the podcast, but I just, I'm not going to. She comes up to me and she says, um, you can either stop being friends with Serena or we're going to go after you too. And I said, what? I didn't understand what was happening. And I, and Serena had just started being bullied by this group of girls and I didn't know who this girl was. And she said, well, we're going to get your friend. And if you don't stop being friends with her, we're going to get you too. And I said, well, I guess you're going to have to get me too, because I'm not going to stop being friends with her. So over the course, and this started right after eighth grade started, over the course of about nine months of school, Serena and I were terrorized, literally, by this group of girls. They had older siblings who would pick them up after school, and they would literally, in their cars, chase us home, throwing beer bottles at us, rocks, uh, anything they could throw at us, food, whatever, and we would run as fast as we could. I can remember flying over backyard fences just to try to hide and get away from them, and uh, we sometimes would jump into a backyard that had a mean dog, and then we were busy trying to figure out how not to get killed by the dog, and that happened several times, and we were literally terrorized by this group of girls for about nine months. Well, towards the end of school, so it was May, and these girls were relentless. This happened every day. And they would say, if you tell anybody, we're going to make it worse. Well, we were, we had about two weeks of school left. And Serena and I were walking in between classes. And uh, we were fixing to come down some stairs. And I had gone down the stairs before her. I was waiting for her. And all of a sudden, Lisa, this other girl uh, at Jackson Junior High, she pushes Serena down the stairs. And Serena went flying down this flight of cement stairs. And I just looked at her, and it just flew out of my mouth. I didn't mean to say it, but I said, you be, you know, I won't, won't cuss on the, on the podcast. And it was on. That was it. I was the one that was now targeted because I called this girl who was mispopular and who was in this gang of girls picking on Serena the B word. And so they raced down the stairs, and they were like, we're going to get you. And I, and I was horrified. And so the after school came because teachers were around. They couldn't get me during school. After school came and I was horrified to go home because I knew they were waiting. And by some miracle, a friend of mine pulled up in a car. Her mom pulled up to pick her up. And my, she was an acquaintance. She wasn't a good friend. She was just like somebody I had in class. But she knew she had seen what had happened. She said, Karen, do you want to ride home? And Serena had already gotten a ride because she had gotten out of school for some sort of appointment or something. I don't know if it was because, I can't remember if it was her because she fell down the stairs or something else was going on. But I got in the car and I went home and it was coming up on a, on a long weekend. And I had kind of told my parents off and on during this um, ordeal what was happening you know that I was afraid because these girls were really mean at school and they were hurting other girls I didn't tell them I was getting picked on I just told them I was afraid and my dad who fought his way through school he was like okay so when they are all circled around you you're gonna go for the smallest one and just clock them as hard as you can and run and I was like, Dad, I can't, I, that's not going to work. So then he tried to teach me how to box. Okay, and I am I was like five feet tall. Boxing is and, and learning in one day is not going to work. And so then he tries to show me some tricks. 
you know, like stomping on their foot or whatever. And, and finally I was just desperate. And I said, I really, this is not going to work. And I just looked at him. I said, I want to, I didn't tell him about the girls again. I just said, I'm really interested in taking karate. Well, my parents wanted me to do anything that they thought would get me out of my shell. So my mom literally called that day. And I think this was on a Wednesday. She had me my first karate lesson on Thursday. So Thursday after school, she actually picked me up, took me to my karate lesson. And it was down, you know, a few miles from where we lived. And they taught me, first thing I learned how to do was block a punch. And I actually told the karate instructor, and I told him not to tell my parents, that I was afraid that I was going to be in a fight and that I needed to learn some stuff quickly. And coming from a 14-year-old, I, I kind of think that they believed it. So I went the next day and my mom picked me up. And so she picked me up from school, took me, and I learned how to throw a punch. So now I know, knew how to block a punch and how to throw a punch. And then it was, so that was Thursday, Friday, Saturday. We, I practiced that because I went every day. Well, so here comes Monday. And it was, everybody in the school at Jackson Middle School knew that there was going to be a fight. And, of course, me, shy, meek, timid, wimpy was going to get killed and so this girl whose name was also Karen she comes up to me in the middle of the day and she says I'm going to kill you after school that's what she said she said I'm going to kill you and I believed it I was I was scared and so the day went by we got out of school Serena and myself and a kid named Owen, who was a friend of ours who lived on our street, and a kid named Larry, not not the, there were two Larrys, but this was a shy, timid kind of Larry, kind of like me. We were really good friends because we were both shy and quiet. We're all four walking home, and we're about halfway there, and all of a sudden, Owen turns around because he hears something, and he says, oh my God, Karen, run and I turned around and there was this sea of kids running up the street after us. It was horrifying. And Serena looks at Owen and she says to Owen and to Larry, go get your big sister in her car, run fast. And I wanted to run. I, I'm like, why aren't we running? And she, and she just said to me, she said, we can't run. There's too many of them. We can't get away from them. We can, maybe we can talk our way out of it. And I'm, and I'm thinking this is not going to work. But she was right. We couldn't run. There were too many. And to me, it looked like there were a thousand kids. I would suspect there were about 50. There were a lot of kids. And so this girl comes up to me, the toughest girl in our school. And her name's Patrice. And she's big. She's a big girl. She's like towering over me. She's like 5'9 in the eighth grade. And she says, I didn't even know she knew who I was. And number two, I didn't even think she liked me. And... She says to me, she's all, Karen, you can win this fight. She, she said, just don't back down and just stand your ground. She said, girls, if you hit them in the face once, they're done. And that was the best advice she ever gave me. That was like one of the best pieces of advice of my life. So I was standing there because I couldn't go anywhere. We're now surrounded. So Serena and I are, and Karen Apodaca, Lisa and Mary are surrounded by this huge group of people. And Karen Apodaca, 
says it again. She's all, I'm going to kill you. And I believed it. I thought it was true. I thought I was going to die that day. I thought I was literally going to die. And I told her, I said, I don't want to fight with you. I don't want to fight. I just want to go home. I don't want to fight. Please. I just want to go home. And so then she starts calling me names, you know, that I'm a baby and I'm a wimp. And, and all of a sudden she throws a punch right at my face and I blocked it. I was like amazed. I was like, oh my gosh, this karate stuff works. I blocked a punch. And, um, so she throws another punch and I blocked it again. And I was like stunned. I can't, I mean, I was like in shock. And my friend Serena told me later that everything I was saying and doing was like in super drive speed. She said, nobody could understand what I was saying because I was talking so fast and so high pitched. And obviously that's adrenaline. And she said that I was blocking the punches so fast that you could barely see my arms moving. Well, then at that point, there was a little break in the crowd for a second and Serena said, said something to me. I don't know what she said, but I kind of looked over at her. And at that point, when I took my eyes off of Karen, she went to punch me in the face, but she didn't know how to fight. So she, she opened her palm, she opened her hand and she actually slapped me across the face. And just out of reflex, I punched her square right in the face, right in the nose, pretty hard, I guess. I didn't think I had done much of anything, but it knocked her down. I think it was adrenaline again. And so Lisa and Mary pick her up and they're like, get her. And the other two girls didn't want to fight. They didn't want the mess, right? They just wanted somebody else to do it for them. So she um, tries to hit me again and I blocked it again. She tries to hit me again and I blocked it again. And then Serena grabbed my arm and she, you know, was trying to get me out of there. And I turned my head and my hair was fairly long at that time. And that girl, Karen, grabbed my hair and put me in a headlock. And I could feel her arm around my throat and she had my hair. And the last thing I remember is saying, you better let go of my hair. And what's so disturbing to me is not the whole thing about being bullied. I mean, that's disturbing. And not the whole thing about this whole huge group of kids wanting to see a fight, although that's disturbing. Not the fact that she had me in a headlock, but what's disturbing is what happens next. It's like the real, the film real in my life that runs through in my memory and in that present day, it's like somebody took a pair of scissors and clipped it at, two, at both ends. So from the time she grabbed my hair and I said, let go of my hair, and from the time I remember next, which was Serena screaming and pulling on me that I was killing her, I have no recollection. It was a total blackout. And, and it was from sheer fear because she had said she was going to kill me, and I believed it. Sheer fear and complete adrenaline. And my friend has tried to help me remember it. I've been to psychiatrists to try to remember, hypnotherapists to try to remember it, counselors to try to remember it. Can't remember anything. And it's probably, I would say, I don't know, because I don't remember. But Serena says it was probably no more than two minutes in length. And she said, so she told me yesterday, she's all, it's like you anamorphed into this badger, raccoon, Satan creature. And I was like, great, that's great. And, and we, we talk about this a lot because it was a trauma in both of our lives. And, and we talk about it when we get together by ourselves. And she said, I've never seen anybody move like that 
so fast we couldn't even see what was happening and all of a sudden you were on top of her and I had her by the head with my hand with my hair her hair in my hand and I was hitting her head against a cement curb I have no recollection of this and the next thing I know is Serena's telling Serena's yelling at me and she said she'd been yelling at me for a while trying to pull me off of her that I was killing her and so when I came when I snapped back to it I didn't know what was happening and I got up and I said let's run and Serena said Karen you're never gonna have to run from anybody again and she was actually right but I didn't know what she was talking about and until I looked at my hand and it was full of hair and then I looked at the girl and she was really messed up and so I was like let's I said oh, I got we got to get out of here we got to get out of here and so she said don't run she's all don't act like you're afraid you don't have to she's all you just won and I'm like there's no winning this is not a win-lose situation right although I was 14 I didn't I didn't say that I was just thinking get me out of here and so we're walking home and I'm walking as fast as I can and so here come Mary and Lisa with Karen again and they're like oh everybody else had dissipated right fight was over because Karen me didn't get her butt kicked or killed and it actually went the other direction so everybody who had come to see me get my butt kicked saw something they didn't expect which I can't remember so I uh, we're walking home Mary and Lisa come up with Karen and they're like this fight's not over you guys are gonna finish it and Karen looks at me and she says I don't want to fight anymore and I said I don't want to fight either I said I just want to go home and so I don't know what time it was but usually my mom got home at well after I got home I had no idea what I looked like I didn't know anything that was going on I was in shock I walked into my house because I dropped Serena off at her house and I lived up the street walked into my house and my mom looks at me and freaks out she's like what happened and I'm like nothing and she's like what happened to you and I said I, I said what are you talking about and she said you're covered in blood and so at that point the jig is up right I mean I had to tell my parents she was like you are gonna tell me what happened so I told her what happened she called the principal and the Albuquerque superintendent that day and she was a teacher in the Albuquerque school district the next day they called all of those girls into the office so Mary Lisa Karen and there were a couple other ones that I didn't know and they told them that if they even so much as looked at me cross-eyed they'd be expelled from the Albuquerque school system and they called me in and they said why didn't you tell anybody and I said because they said that that they would get me even worse and I was afraid so that was another after that incident that was a huge turning point in my life because I was never I wouldn't say up until that point that I was ever significantly bullied I mean I was teased because I was shy and I was made fun of because I had funky clothes because you know we didn't have a ton of money I didn't get to wear the cool clothes and so I was teased but I didn't really take that as being bullied but that year in eighth grade I was bullied the entire year and after that happened I just told myself I'll never be bullied again I'm never gonna be bullied again and we moved to Farmington New Mexico about three months later because my dad transferred jobs and I was starting unfortunately not high school which I would have been in Albuquerque but starting junior high and this girl came up to me to start to kind of pick on me I don't know why but she started to do something and one of her friends pulled her aside and she said do you know who that is 
And I'm just like kind of hearing it in the background. And she's all, she's that girl who almost killed that girl in Albuquerque. And I was like, what is happening here? How do they know that? But, you know, and I never did figure out how they knew that, except obviously somebody who was there that day had also transferred to Farmington that I didn't know, but I didn't know that many people in school. And so it was at that point, that turning point in my life that I really got much more into martial arts for, for forever and realized that, you know, I would never be bullied and I never wanted anybody to be bullied again. But that changed a lot of mental health for me in my life. I mean, it is a huge mental health issue to black out and not remember doing something like that to a person. And to me today, it's still very disturbing. And, you know, so that was a, a, a big, big issue in my life. And I hope that, you know, I just wanted to bring that across to let people know, number one, bullies been going on forever. There have always been bullies. There were, will always be bullies. You have to be able to, I guess, protect yourself, you know, and I'm not in any way, shape or form saying that I agree with people fighting, but I was in a situation I could not get out of. It was not, it was not possible. Two, if I had it to do over again, I would have told my parents right away, but I was afraid. It was fear. You know, and fear is part of mental health, right? We all have emotions. There's a whole range of emotions. There's happiness, there's sadness, there's fear, there's panic. They're all part of who we are and they're all necessary. And, but my point being is that we all go through things. And in my adult life, I've gone through a lot of things too that have led to different aspects of my life being very happy, different aspects of my life being very sad, where I've been very, very angry, where I've had anxiety, where I've had depression. I don't feel like personally that I have a hormonal, a mood stabilizing hormonal imbalance because I treat a lot of people who do have hormone, mood hormone, you know, the mood hormone stabilizers. If there's an imbalance, that requires usually medication to help with the uptake or reuptake or inhibitors, um, catalysts, whichever somebody needs of medication to help treat that issue, just like if you're treating diabetes or thyroid disorders. So medications are, are very warranted, but I think a lot of times, a lot of what people go through prior to having a hormonal imbalance is when they have a traumatic experience and there's no tools in the toolbox to help them cope with what's happened and they don't tell anybody. So the point of this podcast today is one, people are not alone. Everybody has something going on mentally, spiritually, physically. Everybody does. Anybody who says they doesn't, they, that they don't is one, either lying or they're completely not in tune with themselves because I don't believe that. Everybody that I know, nobody's perfect and nobody's alone. So I would encourage anybody, if they're suffering, if they're feeling like they're having depression, if they're feeling like they're having anxiety, if they're having panic attacks, if they're sad, if they're fearful, reach out to someone. And if you don't have anybody personally that you can reach out to, call a counselor, call one of the hotlines. There are people there that will help you, but don't give up because things get better. Things get very much better 
in life. You just have to get there. You just have to give it time and give it a chance and get those tools in your toolbox that you need to be able to have the coping skills to, to help stabilize yourself and take care of yourself when issues arise, which is every day. Issues arise every day. There was a point in my life back in 2017 where I had been struggling a little bit for a, a few years with feeling overwhelmed, feeling like I was getting a little bit into a more depressed mood, feeling a little bit more anxiety. And then in 2017, I had three uh, dogs that were my fur babies that I had had for one for 14 years, one for 15 years. Then my 19 year old, he was a rescue. I had gotten him when he was eight and they all passed away in the same year. And that was kind of like a tipping point for me where I was just over the, that was just like too much. And I told my husband, I said, you know, I'm not suicidal, but I would be okay with it if I just didn't wake up in the morning. And I told my best friend Serena that. I said, you know, I just, I hope every day I just don't wake up. I just don't want to do this anymore. And she told me yesterday, she said, because we were talking about it, she said, that made me so sad when you said that. And I said, yeah, I know. But I didn't want to be like that. I didn't want to feel like that. I had just opened up a business. I had just opened up Evercare Family Practice. And I wasn't super busy. You know, I was seeing four or five patients a day. I was doing okay, but I wasn't super busy. And so I told my husband, I said, you know what? I need life skills. I need to be able to get through life and not feel like this, like I'm feeling now. And, and I said, I know it's normal to feel sad, but this is starting to affect my quality of life and my activities of daily living. And so I looked up different programs for depression and I found one it's called Solutions Therapy, and they're in Santa Fe, and they're in Albuquerque. And I had called a couple of different places, but I saw on their site that they had a 17-week program for depression. And so I called them, and I got some information, and I ended up signing up for it. It was literally the best thing I ever did. It was, I didn't really understand at that point. I would refer people to IOP, Intensive Outpatient Therapy, but primarily it was for like different types of drug addiction or, you know, alcohol abuse, different types of things like that. And I didn't realize that that could be used for anxiety, depression, panic attacks, you know, all sorts of things. And so I called him and, and I said, is this a, appropriate for me? And she said, yes, let's do an intake. So I did an intake and it just happened to be that the universe aligned and it worked out that I went to this 17 week program, four hours a day, every day, Monday through Friday. And it was the most amazing experience. And what I really got out of it is that I wasn't the one that needed it. Everybody needs it. And they need to start this stuff in pre-K because we don't have the skills that we need that we're little to learn how to adjust and cope with things as we grow up and become adults. And so we're just winging it. And I really credit this program, and this is not an advertisement for them, they're not paying me or anything, but I credit this program to literally saving my life and changing my life because I gained skills in that 17 weeks that I'll never, ever be able to gain anywhere else, and I try to share them, and so that's what I want to do with this podcast series that I'm starting, is I want to share the 17-week 
program that I went through with you week by week and and talk about things that people can put in their toolbox. I am not a mental health expert. I don't spouse to be one. I tell my patients all the time, I'm not a counselor. I don't have the expertise in mental health. And unfortunately, as a family practice person, we're expected to have that. We have to write for antidepressants, anti-anxiolytics, sometimes um, the atypical antipsychotics. And it's scary because when you think about it, and I always tell people this, if you look at neurosurgery, if you look at cardiology, if you look at orthopedics, we are in the flipping Jetson era. When you look at mental health, we're in the Flintstones. We don't know anything. They they advertise what they call new drugs all the time. Oh yeah, try this, try that. They're not new drugs. They're a reformulation of the old stuff that's been around. There's just, we're not there yet. And if we're not there yet, and a lot of people are being over-medicated, a lot of times it's a guess on what people are being put on. I see people in clinic every day who are on a barrage of medications for depression, anxiety, panic attacks, and they're they're not doing any better. They're, they're still having issues. They feel like they're obtunded, not being able to function. They have no emotion. And emotion is important. We're emotional creatures. And if if they're open to it and they'll do something like what I did, it can change their lives. This program saved my life. And I also made one of the best friends that I have in life by doing this program. Her and I were the only two in there for depression and anxiety. Everybody else was in there for addiction, which was also the most amazing experience of my entire life. I would not change that time in my life for anything because I got a glimpse of seeing through their eyes a little bit of what they were going to. And then we had family night every week and their families would come in and my husband would come in. And it, to get a glimpse of the dynamics of what's happening and why it's happening, I learned so much from every single one of the people that was in my uh, class. It was amazing. But the sad part was, is only three of us out of about 12. And people would come and go, you know, they don't start these, everybody at the same time, you come in when you need it, you start at whatever week and you just progress from there. But only three of us finished the 17 weeks. And I thought that was really sad. And I think one of the reasons that only three of us finished, and it was me and my friend, and and another friend of mine, um, one, like I said, two of us were in there for depression. Another one was for um, addiction. We finished, but we were the only three that weren't court ordered. And so I think when you make somebody do something, they're less likely to complete it. If people just realized how beneficial this is, how your life can change amazingly so that you know when crap happens because crap hits the fan every single day. You have something that's going on every day. But if you have the tools in your toolbox that you can take care of it, you have about 10 seconds to kind of change a process. You can help not be perfect, obviously, because I mean, I still get sad and feel depressed sometimes. I still get anxiety. I still feel down in the dumps. I still feel like I, you know, I'm human. That's what it is. I'm just human. But be able to set in my skin. People have to be able to set with who they are and set with themselves and be okay with it. That's what I couldn't do before. 
And now I'm okay with all my faults and I'm okay with who I am. And I feel good 90% of the time. Okay, 80% probably. But I feel good most of the time. I don't want to not wake up anymore. I want to wake up every day. I don't sleep all the way home in the back seat of our pickup truck because I'm depressed. I'm setting up talking, chit-chatting, you know, or doing work on my computer. I like doing fun things. I, I enjoy going to amusement parks. I enjoy going to dinner, you know, seeing friends. And before, I didn't want to do anything. And it's because I was able to learn to sit with myself. Because ultimately... The person you're with all the time is you and you have to be okay with that it's important and people are taught to feel guilty to feel ashamed to hide things because of whatever embarrassment or fear of ridicule and you know what screw all those people who were doing that to you 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 have a right to be who you are. You have a right to have your own beliefs. You have a right to be with who you want to be with. You have a right to make decisions about your health, about your life, about what you do. That's part of being human and having autonomy is making our own decisions and not being controlled. And I think there's so much control out there. And then with the COVID shut down, everybody was controlled. You know, for me, my life and my husband's life didn't change very much because we're medical. We didn't shut down. We stayed open for the patients. We were open every single day. We did a lot of telehealth because we were required to, another control, required to do telehealth visits on anybody who wasn't urgent. But we also saw patients in the clinic that were urgent. And so our lives were not the same as those people who were completely locked away in their house for months. And that takes a toll on people. And so that's why I wanted to bring this mental health aspect to the podcast. And I had a couple of people who do mental health and they said, Karen, you know, you're not a professional. Maybe you shouldn't do that. And I'm like, no kidding. I'm not a professional, but I'm human. I have emotion. I'm not a robot. I can give my experience. So that's what this podcast series is going to be about. It's not going to be about me saying, oh, yeah, you need this medication, you need that medication. This is going to be more of a podcast on giving you coping skills, giving you some ideas about what you could put in your toolbox, giving you encouragement, and being around as far as available for questions, comments. I encourage all questions and comments. You know, and I realize that, that people have positive and negative comments. The only comments that I hope I don't get, and I haven't yet, and I'm sure I will eventually, are mean-spirited comments because there's really, why waste your time? Why waste your energy on negativity? You know, I mean, yeah, if you, if you want to make a negative comment like, hey, whatever, that's fine. I can take it. I'm, I'm good with it. I want to know. And if you have a positive comment, that's great too. But mean-spirited, if, if it's just a mean-spirited comment, what I would suggest is click off this podcast, smile, and move on. Because don't waste your time. It's not going to be worth it. And all it does is eat your soul up. Whatever type of, you know, whatever people believe their soul is, or their inner spirit, or whatever. That my podcasts are not based on any type of religion, any type of uh, politics. I, I don't want any part of that. I just want humanity, right? I just want everybody to realize we need to be kind to each other. We need to understand each other. 
We need to realize that every single person out there is struggling with something. And we don't know what that is. And maybe if we give people a little bit of understanding and just, you know, a smile, maybe a little bit of love, you know, you can give a lot with a smile and not yell and not get mad for nothing, that life would be so much easier and people would feel so much better. It can't feel good to be mad all the time. It just can't. I just don't believe it. I'm not mad all the time, so I don't I don't know how that feels, but I can't imagine that feels good. So that's the end of the podcast. It's a little wordy, but I wanted to share my story so that I can start the 17 weeks of what I went through and hopefully help anybody who's out there who's in need. And I wish everybody health, happiness, pursuing stuff that you love, doing things that make you feel good, and having and continuing to have the freedom to choose with your life to do how you feel is best for you. And I wanted to say a special thanks to Colleen and to Serena and Kathy V and Brad F and Amanda, Aaron, uh, Dale, and everybody who's listening taking time to listen to this podcast. I hope that it helps and I hope it makes you realize to never give up hope and just keep going. The next day is going to be better. It's going to get better. It might take some time, but it'll get it, it'll get better. And I hope everybody has a great rest of their day. Thank you.